Tyler Core, my brother. I've known him for quite some time, probably since he was born. <laughs> um, and uh, as soon as we started doing this podcast, I knew you'd be somebody I'd want to have on it. To, um, one, you've done podcasts before, so this is certainly not your first appearance on a podcast show. And, uh, and two, you've got a lot of uh, fun experiences, I think, from, uh, from what you do outside of real estate, which is not real estate related at all. You are in the church building uh, organization. And uh, so I want to pull back the layers of that a little bit today, talk about culture and organizational development and some of the things that you spend a lot of your time doing. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I think this will be a really fun conversation, a little different. Yeah, I don't have too much to add to the real estate conversation, although our church does have a pretty large real estate portfolio with over 14 campuses uh, across South Florida, um, but uh, excited to be on. So thanks for thanks for having me. Of course, yeah. One of the things, you know, doing this was certainly not to be all real estate focused. You know, certainly there's a lot of viewership um, because that's where, you know, my network is a lot, but um, but I, I love talking about just, just the organizational side of the business, um, which applies broadly across, you know, every industry to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I, what I think would be fun is one, let's give us a little background on yourself. You went from school and, and working in a church up there to now you're in Palm beach, but kind of what's that, what's that, that path been like? Sure. So grew up uh, obviously in Orlando and uh, went to college in Birmingham, Alabama, a school called Samford University, got my marketing degree. And we loved Birmingham so much. I met my wife up there, Ashley, who is from West Palm Beach, actually. And so we lived in Birmingham for 10 years and uh, she's a pharmacist. So she was in pharmacy school. Uh, right after I graduated from Stanford, I started uh, working at a church, became a, a student pastor at a, a local church there in Birmingham and basically have been in school ever since uh, I finally just finished. So I got my master's of divinity uh, through Liberty university and that took about four years. And then I spent another four years working on my doctorate. So I got a doctorate of ministry in uh, strategic leadership. And I just finished that uh, about a year ago now. And so finally I'm all done. And Justin, you're one of the very few people on the planet that I make call me doctor. So uh, that's, that's about it. <laughs> I'm working on a, uh, a, a, an easy doctorate, as you know. Um, I haven't found where <laughs> anyone that will give it to me without having to put in the time. Um, but as soon as I do, you're going to be calling me doctor. You know, it, <laughs> it is funny because your wife's a doctor of pharmacy. My wife's an MD. Right. So I am the only mm -hmm. non-doctor uh that's true in our group so yeah it's, it's a tough that's position they, to be in and neither of them could, would consider us actual doctors so they kind of make fun of us for even having the title in some way so we if you fall and get hurt we can do nothing to help you <laughs> yeah so i was at your uh graduation um so four years of master's and four years of doctorate are you a slow learner mm -hmm. or is that kind of the path <laughs> <laughs> that is that is about standard okay. uh, yeah for huh. for kind of seminary education your master's is generally three and a half four years and then depending on where you go yeah because uh, the, the doctorate of ministry it, it takes four years you do it while you're a full-time employee it's supposed it's a practical you know pragmatic uh, doctorate so it's supposed to help your context where you are in whatever area you're wanting to grow in so you did so, your doctorate. And I'm a slow, and I'm a slow learner. <laughs> well, you were working full-time. I'll give you a little bit of slack there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I remember from, from your graduation, kind of hearing some of the stories about how many people start that process and expect to do it, you know, through in four years um, and don't. I mean, it turns into, you know, a lifetime achievement award for a lot of people, right? I mean, just because it's, it's a rigorous course. That's no, true. Well, mo most people, I mean, the, the majority don't graduate. They don't finish. They don't complete it. So even the, just the number of uh, men and women I knew who got to the final year, just the project phase of it, which is the final year of, of research and writing that for whatever reason, just can't, they can't work out their time in the midst of life and work and kids and everything else to actually see it through to the finish line. So it's tough. That takes a different level of discipline than the rest of school where you got, you got some marathons and you got some sprints, but you have general deadlines that are given to you when it comes to the writing phase. I think a lot of people aren't able to complete it because you have to artificially set your own deadlines 
and force yeah. yourself to meet it. And that takes a different level of discipline that I think if you can do, that's going to apply in any, you know, any industry in any place that you go is the ability to set artificial deadlines for yourself and to yep. work in the short term to accomplish long-term goals. I think a lot of people that write books too, they'll just have to go away, right? Like you almost go away and barricade yourself and knock out the bulk of it, right? I mean, I think you have to kind of operate in that fashion and be, otherwise, I mean, yeah, I mean, how could you be, because how, how long is, how long is your thesis essentially that you, you put together for that? The, 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 basically my part is about 150 pages. Yeah. The whole thing's about 250 pages, but it's, it's a mix of different research and studies, things like that. So let's talk about that. So what was the, what was the premise? All right. So I think it'd be helpful for people to know just kind of what I do and, and, and where I'm at. So I'm in, I'm in sure. South Florida and I work at a church called family church. And so I'm a, I'm a, one of the pastors here and I help oversee currently our sixth grade through our college ministries. So uh, we're a multi-site church, which means we've got campuses all over. So right now we've got 14 different locations as North as Port St. Lucie in Florida. And then as South as uh, West Palm beach and everywhere in between. And so uh, we're, we're essentially helping churches that are struggling and we're revitalizing them and helping bring them back to life. So we partner with other churches. We actually ask them, can we be better together? And if the answer is yes, then we will send our resources. We, we take on their debt and, you know, it might be called a merger. Um, some people you call it being absorbed by another company. That's not really how we see it. We see it as, as us becoming right. one unit. So we take on all their debt. We'll revitalize some of their buildings and their infrastructure. We'll actually send people like congregants from our other churches to that church to help infuse culture and the type of environment we're trying to create into that church. And they become family church. So they become a part of our, of our, our, our church, an extension of our church. And uh, we talk about each campus as having like a family resemblance with one another. So like you and I are brothers and we kind of look similar. We have some similar mannerisms, uh, you know, kind of a weird sense of humor. Like we, there's some things like that, that if people hang out with us a little bit, they would kind of realize, yeah, you guys, you got a family yeah. resemblance, but we're two unique people. And so that's, that's how our, our model works. So we're not a franchise model where, you know, you, you go to one McDonald's to another and you get the same burger served up the same way in the same yep. environment. That's that we, we're not against that model, but that's, that's not how we do it. We choose to. It feels transactional, uh, every, right? It almost feels like it, you're just a part of the process versus being able to have some, some of your own spin on it. It does. And in South Florida, your, your context matters because you can go, you know, five blocks up the road and be in a different neighborhood that is totally different culture, totally different demographic. And so there's really just not like a one size fits all model for what we do. So, right. but so all, the, all that to say, you know, our goal is to have a hundred churches, uh, family churches in South Florida. And so we're only going to continue to expand and have more churches in more neighborhoods. And so one of the things I wanted to do, I wanted to kind of leverage my doctorate in strategic leadership to help put together what we call a launch template uh, for new churches and new student ministries that join family church. So in other words, when we want to partner with another church, what does it look like for us from 12 months before we, we launch them as a new family church campus to 12 months after we launch them as a family church campus? What does it look like for the person in my job to help kind of merge the student ministries together and the volunteer structure and the uh, just all the different logistics that have to take place to become one to do it in a seamless way where that's in, intentionally infusing family church DNA and family church culture into what we're doing because it's one thing to be in one building and to have people who you can all like see and yeah. high five and talk to in person it's a whole nother thing to add you know an hour and a half of geography in between you and for culture and DNA to still translate in that way. So before we dive into how it works and before my tunes out and says, I'm not going to be in the, um, you know, I'm not going to be in the church merger business anytime soon. Uh, you know, and, and maybe it's there, but, but this applies broadly to a lot of things that a lot of businesses do. Correct. 
You froze up on me a little bit. We'll cut this out. Got you back now. Boom. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll do a little clip. And you you were just like, yeah, it froze. You, you froze on mine. You froze All on right. mine. Did I did it did it get through my answer? No. So we'll do we'll uh, we'll do it again. I don't even remember what your your. Uh, oh, I asked another question. So I don't know if you heard it. No, it, it paused the, like the millisecond you started asking the other question. Gotcha. So before we jump into the, 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 you know, the details of this, I mean, this is something that applies broadly, um, I would imagine, in just about every industry in terms of growth, right? So when you look back at this was happening before you got to Family Church, correct? They were beginning right. this, this measure of, of, of church mergers. Um, mm -hmm. So... What's the background of some of the people that began this? I mean, is this all, is this, has this been organic from within the church or is this, have you brought people from the outside who have done this in other fashions to help kind of facilitate some of this? Mm -hmm. All right. So, so family church uh, was actually started in 1901. And uh, so it's a super old church and it's formerly known as First Baptist Church of West Palm Beach. So it's had some really great days, some incredible strong days, some great leadership, but it had always been one site in one location, right on, right on Flagler Drive, South Flagler Drive, like real prominent location in South Florida and, you know, in, in the West Palm Beach area. Well, in like 2000 and like the early 2000s, it went through some really difficult times when our, our current pastor, Jimmy Scroggins, lead pastor, uh, got here. Uh, they were $4 million in debt to a church member. Okay, so they couldn't even find like a bank to give them a loan. So they had <laughs> a church member who was willing to help help prop them up for a little bit. You know, the problem is when that church member who you owe four million dollars to wants to sing the same hymn three times, you sing the same hymn three times. So, like he's kind of he's pulling all the strings, uh -huh. and so it just kind of it it, it puts you in a, a really tough spot, obviously, as a church. And so the church was really unhealthy. It was struggling. It was having to it was basically holding up and propping up all of these ministries that were good, but, but weren't the main thing of what we're here to do. And so pastor Jimmy came in and realized, you know what, we actually, um, we actually have some great opportunity here, but it's going to take somebody who's willing to lead the change and make some hard decisions. So actually right across the street on the intercoastal, our church owned a property and uh, it was called chapel by the lake is beautiful like amphitheater right on the water that was it was gorgeous and served a big point in the, the history of our church but it wasn't actually being used effectively for what we were doing now so it's sitting there and uh and pastor jimmy led our church to sell that property for over 20 million dollars all right well that infuses some serious uh sure. cash into our system. And actually now they, they built, they just built a building called the Bristol there, which is this amazing condo building starting at $5 million. The penthouse sold to sold for like, I think $70 million or something like that. Not, not too long ago. And so it's, it's just right next door to us, but that actually allowed our church. It catalyzed us to be able to say, all right, we're going to pay off our debt. We're going to knock down some buildings that are taking up space. We're kind of going to upgrade uh, our facilities as they are but we're also going to recast the vision. I think Pastor Jimmy had taken inventory of South Florida and had seen how diverse it was and how much it was going to be changing in the future. And he said, okay, we're going to actually abandon the regional megachurch model, which is essentially the model that says, hey, we're going to build a massive building here. Everybody come to us yep. and drive past 100 other churches on your way here to get to us. And instead, we're going to become a network of neighborhood churches and we're going to go hire neighborhood pastors and put them in neighborhood buildings who speak the neighborhood language. And we're going to do that in every neighborhood in South Florida. Right. And so that's, that's what we tried to do. And at that point it was just like a concept. It was just an idea. And of course uh, through the midst of all of that, there's a million different stories that, that he'll tell you about um, in the Palm beach Post. And some people who, you know, there's some lawsuits involved, there's some bad press involved, there's, 
you know, church conflict involved and all that, because you're, there's, there's a story behind every program, yeah. a story behind every building. Uh, but on this side of things, once you saw it started after a couple of years, starting to snowball effect and build and build and build, it captured people's imagination and things that people used to think weren't possible. Now you had people on board and excited about what was taking place. So on this side of things, yeah. it's like, well, duh, that's, yeah, that's what you should have done. But it doesn't always uh, seem like the the wise thing to do in the time when you've got a lot of obstacles and right. in particular people who are opposing you. When you always need that one case study too, to say, see, it works, right? Like uh, you know, there's so many naysayers out there for everybody that wants to try something new. Um, that mm -hmm. it takes somebody like that to, to come and implement change. The other thing that's interesting is like, I've thought about this in my business. Like if I was coming into my business today, right? It was existing mm -hmm. in its current state. What would I do different? And it almost seems like shaking that tree is easier with a new fresh, you know, set of eyes versus like, because I know all the reasons I've made a lot of bad decisions. You know, I can justify a lot of them along the way, right? Because, yep. oh, you don't know the whole story and this and that, but Jimmy came in and said, no, 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 we're, sh we're shaking the tree, right? We're going to make some change. Um, yeah. so I think it, I think it's, it's a skill to be able, I think it's a skill to be able to, you know, I heard people say fire yourself, like every, yeah. every year or two, you've got to kind of fire yourself and come in as a, as a new guy and try yeah. to take kind of fresh inventory of the landscape and of the culture and find inefficiencies and things that you, you put in place that, uh, really don't exist anymore because things, especially in the times that we're in, are changing so rapidly. You can right. make a decision that's the right decision at the time, but because something you know outside changes, you know a year later it could be totally irrelevant and actually hurting you, causing a lot of friction. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Or you're just in the constant, you know, uh, the the mess, you know, the the wake behind your mess. You know, you you still might be improving right. and, and and moving the needle in some way, shape, or form. But yeah, it's all, it's it's almost easy to be in that that in the in the wake. Um, so, all right. So with that, with all that being said, your, your studies and kind of your focus went down this path to kind of set the, the, the stage for what these mergers should look like. Mm -hmm. Right. That's right. All right. So break, break that down for us. All right. So, so, so basically um, I, I got, I got a book right here that was kind of like the book that helped inform a lot of my thinking on, on these issues. And, and a lot of people say, man, the church isn't a business. It shouldn't run like this or whatever. I, I agree with that. The church is not a business, but it is an organization. And so it would be wise of us to bring some of the best knowledge about how to have efficient and uh, efficiently run facilities and a, and a smart run organization into the church world so that we can be effective at what we're trying to yeah. do. And so uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with us using resources like this. So this is a book called Becoming a Strategic Leader, Your Role in Your Organization's Enduring Success uh, by Richard Hughes and David Dinwoody and uh, Catherine Beattie. And uh, there's, there's this great, they call it the strategic leadership model. And it gives you kind of a frame of reference to hold it up so you can kind of get a, a picture. It's almost like a wheel here. And you're supposed to start on the outside and, and work your way in. And it, it starts kind of really big picture, but then zooms in basically with the intention of giving you clarity on who you are, just like your identity and what you value all the way down to what type of culture are you trying to create? So I started working through all of these things. So things like set a mission, vision, and values, right? Those are, that's the, the first question you should ask yourself. Who am I? Right. What am I trying to accomplish? What, what are my values? Because that's going to be an outflow of my company. Uh, discover the drivers, what, what are going to be the, the drivers, the four disciplines of execution talks about your lead measures. Sure. What are the lead measures that you can put in place that are going to result in a downstream, you know, uh, uh, net positive for what you're trying to do. Create a business strategy, develop your leadership strategy. In other words, how are the people in your organization aligned to actually move the needle forward for your business strategy. A lot of times those aren't connected very well. So you've got right. kind of this scattered looking organization, um, assess the internal external environment, um, which again, especially in the last two years here in Florida, uh, it's changed because so many new people yeah. have moved in. 
Uh, so you've got to constantly be on top of, of your, your demographics and what your area is like, uh, but not just externally, also internally in your organization. And then uh, execute and perform and learn and get yourself. You got to be in this rhythm of constantly, uh, you know, I call it, it's, it's like you want to aim, shoot, and, uh, and then you want to re-aim and shoot again. So I think a lot of people think they need to have the perfect strategy and the perfect model and the perfect plan before they'll actually take the risk right. to go. And the truth is before you just do it, you're, you're never going to have the perfect plan. So uh, that's why Instagram is still updating. And that's why, you know, Mac operating systems are continuing to provide, you know, what are we on 15.2, yeah. whatever, like they're, they're continually re-aiming and firing again and re-aiming and firing again. So you've got to have those in place. Why Elon Musk blew up so many rockets. You know, <laughs> yeah, the whole, whole documentary exactly right. on it right now is super interesting if you hadn't watched it, you know, just talking about kind of a startup of like, we've got to go fail. The government's been trying to be perfect for so long, right? And it's like, let's go fail mm -hmm. and figure out how do we can expedite this whole process. That's so. true. Well, Ash, Ashley was telling me again, my wife's a pharmacist and uh, she was telling, she works for uh, GlaxoSmithKline and uh, she sent me something the other day that it basically showed how many billions and billions of dollars drug companies sink into failing drugs that never actually make it to market. Um, I mean, it's, it was astonishing numbers of what they put in just for something Ooh. never to come to fruition, but then other drugs obviously uh, make it worth their while. So yeah. after you've got the, that like outside barriers, you kind of start going in, you've got to think in your kind of the leadership of your organization, creating what's called DAC direction, alignment, and commitment to all of those things, direction, alignment, and commitment. Cool. And then, uh, and then the last four, it talks about, um, spanning boundaries and leveraging polarities, leading change in the midst, of all of that. And the last one I think is fun is shaping culture. It's like, you've got to think about what type of culture do you want to create? And this is something I love talking about organizational culture. I think that's one of the most important things. I mean, you all, everybody's heard the, the saying about culture, right? Like culture eats strategy for breakfast. And, uh, and I think that's, yeah. that's totally true. Um, and I think it's so important. I learned from one of my friends a while ago, Ryan McDermott, he talks about, if you want to create culture, you got to do five things. You've got to define it, uh, which is important. So you've got to know it, you got to define it. You've got to model it. So you've got to live it out yourself. Um, you, in some ways you don't create culture. You just be culture and you, you replicate who yeah. you are. So define it and then you model it and then you teach it. So it's gotta be part of your language, part of your vernacular. And, uh, there's an argument to be made. I think that creating common language in your organization is a really strong part of creating yeah. culture. So even at family church, we've got so many sayings off the, just kind of off the top of our head that that we say here all the time that somebody from the outside wouldn't, wouldn't get. Right. So it's kind of insider language that is really beneficial. So define it and model it and teach it and then measure it. So you've got to actually find a way to, to measure, are we succeeding in this and then, and then celebrate it because what you celebrate gets repeated. Yep. And, uh, and the so that's, only that's other a really one, big part. The only other thing add? I would add into that is hire it, like intentionally mm. hire it. Yeah, I think uh, we fell into that for a long time, trying to, you know, just exemplify it and, and create it and foster it. It becomes far easier when you just hire people that are going <laughs> to not hire your not hire an echo chamber, but hire people that have your fundamental beliefs and values. Right. In that sense where mm -hmm. um, and that just that just that just amplified all of it. So, so do, you, do you think you would hire someone who's got stronger culture fit? over someone who might have a stronger competency fit, but, but lack the culture? Uh, 100% the stronger culture over the competency every time. I mean, mm -hmm. we can, we can go so much farther together with, with so much less angst and, uh, and effort. So, yeah, no, but I, I love that. I mean, that's, and, and this, and the same thing, I mean, your DAC dire direction, alignment, commitment, um, those all go together. So what I hope we can get into here a little bit is like, you've done this at different churches, right? Where you go in, you see where they are, you know who you are, right? You've already defined who, you, who what your culture is. And you're going to go right. essentially portray that into a new group of people who don't understand that fully. 
So as, as having, having done that with repetition, how do we, I mean, what, what's the, what's the quickest way to success on that with mm-hmm. a new group of people that you're bringing in who don't fully understand who you are? Yeah. So uh, in my, in my project, I mean, I think this is, is kind of common sense, but what you see empirically is that the leader is the culture carrier and the leader is going to be the champion of whatever type of culture you want to create. So the vast majority of time we partner with the church, we try to take somebody who's been closest to the fire, meaning the closest to us, and then send them to that campus to go lead in, in whatever capacity uh, that we put them in. Um, if you hire people from the outside, um, they can't, again, to your point, you want to have outside, you want to hire people from the outside that have strong culture fit. I think the preferred method by everybody would be, let's have such a deep bench. Let's create such a strong leadership pipeline that we can continue to like promote people and launch them uh, so that they can go be a success. So, so for instance here, so I, I help run uh, 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 the one of the largest, if not the largest uh, church internship program in the whole country. Uh, so we're, we're about to bring in about a hundred summer interns about a month from now. They're going to be here the entire summer and uh, we don't pay them a single dime, but uh, they're here and they grow and they get hands-on experience and they learn. And man, it's like by the end of the summer, you felt like family church has just thrown up on you. I mean, just culture, language, everything that we are, everything that we think, how we do and run and operate ministry. And so as a result of that, they're learning from us. We're also gleaning things from them that they're bringing from wherever around the country or around the world that they're, they're coming from. And so we, we learn from each other, but then that's one of the first places that we look when we're trying to hire somebody, right? That's right. the first place we go is we're looking at people who we know have our culture, who we know have our values and who we've been able to see have competency or at least potential for the competency. Cause we can, we can train that to your point. And then eventually we want to send them out to go start that. So the leader is definitely the, to get back to your original question is the, the strongest component of that, that you can put in place. So we try to send somebody there who can get kind of on site um, you know, about four to five months before we're actually going to launch or start the church. But we're having a bunch of soft, soft meetings before that. So I'm setting up with, you know, in, in a youth group setting, one of the things we're doing like three months out is we're working to set up meals with uh, the youth pastor and all the families that have students in the church. So we're, mm-hmm. we're setting up dinners, you know, every Thursday night for, you know, the next three months, this youth pastor and his wife are going and getting in the homes of families that go to their church so they can get to know you so they can, you know, all, all the stuff that they're thinking about family church or what, you know, who, who is this guy? When you get in the home, there's something about kind of breaking bread together that humanizes yep. people and you're able to hear their heart and see, okay, this guy is for real. Um, or, or this woman is for real and I want to follow them and I, I want to go with them. And so as you, as you do that, um, who you are just starts to splash all over everybody, just by osmosis, other people start to catch and pick up what you're putting down. Uh, so that's a, that's a, a really big aspect of it. Um, two, two other things that we do, Justin, is we send um, other churches, people, to go to their church. So we actually ask, you know, all other 14 campuses, um, Hey, so we we actually look at, at where people live. So we kind of do like a heat map so we can see where our people are are from and we can communicate to them specifically. And then we ask them to take a one-year mission trip to help us go start this new church and revitalize this new church. Uh, Not everybody does it, but the vast majority of people who do end up staying number one, cause it's yeah. closer to their home. It's in their neighborhood. And, uh, and then man, if you help start something like that, you sure are a whole lot more You're grafted right. into the DNA of what's taking place. So we want to send people who already have culture through the leader, through other church members. And then what we do, so we've got two new campuses coming down the pipeline in the next couple of months. So we'll be at, at 16 campuses really soon. Um, 
we're bringing all of their students to our network wide like student camp right so so over the summer we do this massive camp experience and we see that as actually a culture accelerator so that's one of the reasons so we do it uh the way that we do it so we're we're doing whatever it takes adding scholarship money making phone calls everything that we can to try to get those uh not just the students but uh, a lot of times their parents yeah. to come see it. I mean, you, you and I both have, both have little kids. If you love my kids, uh, I'm going to like you a whole lot more. Yep. Right. Uh, and so we, we want them to come to our camp to experience it, to see how great of a time their kid has. And for them to just kind of stand back and go, wow, like I haven't seen anything like this before. And that, that draws you in. And they're realizing that my one, my one church, my one pocket of this expression of family church is a small part of this massive gospel project that's taken place all over South Florida. So that's one of the best gifts we can give to people is a vision that you're a part of something a lot larger than yourself. So if you yeah. can infuse that into people, it's, uh, it's exciting and it's reinvigorating. I will. So two things. One, uh, the thing about the church that is so cool just in general is that there is, or at least should be a very defined goal and mission there. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's furthering the kingdom. I mean, that's the, that's it, right. Bringing people closer to Christ in business it, it sometimes is more segmented. Sometimes mm -hmm. I, I think I'm jealous to some extent that, you know, I, I always, I've talked with our team about like, you know, football teams, right? Like every player on the field knows the goal. It's to keep them from scoring and we need to score, right? The, uh, the ball, <laughs> yeah. the ball hits the deck and the lineman's willing to jump on it or pick it up and run, right? That's not his job, but everyone knows like, that's how we win. That's how we score. Um, and a lot of times we get so segmented, at least in our, in our business, like in our individual roles that we miss the big picture sometimes. Right. And I'm sure it happens in, in any major organization. We can do that. Um, but, uh, the other thing I was just curious on is like when the culture is so, um, when you come in and just, and, and you, and you're, you're, you're speaking it and they, and they feel it, does that push some people away? I mean, do you feel that when you come into a new church that some people are like, Nope, that is, that's not me. I'm not into that. And they are like, does it, it brings a lot of people really close in, like we talked about. And mm -hmm. then does it, do you seem that, that, it, that it pushes people away in a sense? Sure. No question. There's some of that. Uh, unfortunately, there's some of that, but I mean, it makes sense. So, so there's a lot of commonalities that you see when you, when you do this long enough. So uh, one of the things that you see is generally in dying churches um, over time, number one, they stopped reaching young families. Uh, so there's no kids around, there's no young families around. And, uh, it, it, and so just the, there's the, the life in the vitality and energy on the campus is, uh, it's not there. It's kind of non-existent. And so over time that starts to take a toll on the church and their, their attendance starts to shrink and their funding starts to shrink and their buildings start to have, you know, some delayed, uh, repairs that are needed, they, they delayed maintenance. Um, so their buildings start to go down. So you kind of see like a similar path in, in a lot of these places. And one of the things that they do to soothe themselves, um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm putting it pretty bluntly right now, obviously it's not this, but one of the things they do to, to sometimes make themselves feel like they are, they are doing something more is they start these kind of external facing mercy ministries, Right. So you'll go into these churches that have 100 people. They used to have 800. Now they have 100. Average age is 70. But they've got these great, you know, homeless ministries and busing ministries and feeding ministries. And I mean, they'll have they'll have, you know, one various mercy ministry for every person in the church. And so all of their mindset and energy is directed outward while letting the most important thing that the church is for that the gathering of, of the saints for worship, uh, they kind of let that fall away. Okay. Well, when we come in and we, one of the first things that we do is we essentially, um, stop doing all of those other things. That's painful because those yeah. are great things. 
and we're all for those. Like we love those things. That's great. Um, but, and there's a time and place for that, but, but it's, it's not now at that stage of your life cycle. So yeah, there's a lot of people when, when you stop doing, you know, X, Y, Z ministry, that was their reason that they were at the church and they, they get really upset. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, or it was their baby. They started it. Right. I mean, no, ex exactly. Um, so, so you'll see, you'll see two different people. You'll see some that, that will just say, you know what, I'm out and I'll go somewhere else. Um, and, and that's fine. And then you see other people who are like, you know what, no, this is my church. I'm going to stay. And they kind of take ownership of it. And, and eventually, again, once they start tasting a vision of the future, then those people become your, you know, your, your best friends and they're excited about it, but it definitely doesn't come without without opposition, but that's true for any organization, Justin, like if you come in to a company um, or if you even start to sense it in your company, the, one of the best things you can do is get people off the bus who aren't bought in to right. where you're going and what you're trying to do. Uh, Cause they're just going to cause so much friction along the way and uh, have so much animosity and they're going to have the meetings before the meetings and the meetings after the meetings <laughs> and not actually yeah. tell you what they're thinking in the meetings. Uh, so, so it, it, it's a, a waste of time and energy and resources, and it actually dilutes your vision and mission for what you're trying to accomplish to have them on. So not that they couldn't be effective somewhere else. They, they can be. So you've got to help them move on to kind of launch them to whatever they're what, something they can be excited about. Uh, right. even if, so even if that means hurting yourself in the short run, uh, to, to get the right people on the bus in the long run. Sometimes that takes a little longer, but if you get the right people on, it can be a little slower, but you go a lot further uh, in the long run with the right people. It's certainly easier to attract more of the right people when the wrong people are off the bus. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right? I mean, yeah, they, they kind of, they, it, and, it, and it makes me think the church you were, you know, the hypothetical church you were talking about, right? I mean, it's, you know, they, they probably are not the most welcoming when new people come in, right? I mean, it's almost mm -hmm. like they they sense that even even before you guys came in, I would imagine we've actually been to churches like this years ago when we were church shopping, which is like the worst thing ever. Um, you know, and you go in and you feel like you got to be real judgy here for a little bit, you know, on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, some of them would just be like, you would see everybody look like, we've never seen you here before. And that's the extent yeah. of the welcome, you know, and it's like, okay, <laughs> I don't know if we'll be coming yeah. back here, but, but how, you know, how sad to get to that point um, where that's the, that's the, the feeling, but um, yep. so, okay. So keep going. We were, all, we were, we were moving down the path on, um, you know, kind of on the, on the, on the merger and pushing the culture. Um, mm -hmm. If we take it to like the most, the most kind of, um, just easy takeaways. A couple of things you said were having a bench of leadership that you can infiltrate into a new community to help kind of drive that culture. Right. Which, um, which, which goes yeah. to, yeah, which go, which goes to having just a deep pipeline and being intentional on developing people. It's one of our, our uh, leadership principles at family church is be a people developer, yeah. which is hard and it takes it feels like sideways energy when it's happening you know but eventually once you've trained somebody up they're able to go and to be launched off to to multiply exponentially your your impact so we spend a lot of time developing people because we know we're going to need a ton of people if we're going to get to a uh, hundred churches <clears throat> yeah how, how deep is the bench right now I mean, is that something that, that, that you kind of constantly have a pulse on? Like, cause these opportunities probably don't come, they kind of come out of thin air sometimes I'd imagine. Yep. No, it's, it's pretty deep. Um, it, it's pretty deep. It depends on the, it depends on the, uh, on the position. Uh, so, so we, we look, depending on the position, we, we always start looking internally first. So is there somebody on our staff based off of their, based off of their stated goals and what they want to do? that we can shift laterally or shift into another department that, and that happens all the time. My assistant uh, who helped kind of is like my chief of staff. Um, she, she has graphic design goals. And so we actually just had a graphic design position open up. And so she shifted completely out of, you know, this realm into a totally different department and that's great. And so we celebrate that. Well, now I've got a backfill, but uh, you know, guess what? Within, within a week, we got the right part because we are, we are, we got a, 
a strong enough pipeline and people of, of interns that have come through over the years that, you know, there's people who have said, Hey, I would love this opportunity if it came up. So yeah, you're always looking internally first and then right. going, ex- going, then going external. That's awesome. So you put that person in place, you got, you've got the leadership that, that's been trained up for maybe a couple of years or so under, under, you know, under this leadership bench development, um, which is not easy, but you've got that person in place now. How long and what are other kind of practical steps that are happening before you start to see that, that real unity that can, that can come from it? It depends. It depends on the campus. It depends. So every campus is unique. It's, it's like a snowflake uh, because, um, because you don't know what type of culture was there beforehand depends how many people stay from the existing church and how many new people uh, from your existing campuses you can infuse to it and it kind of depends uh, again why the leader is so important so like the there's a there's a guy man I'm, I'm going blank on his name I think he wrote the book Sec, second chair leader um, but but he basically says that the leader in any organization has to be the biggest nut in the nut house. Like you've got to be so fired up about your, about your vision and mission. And when you're, you know, when, when you're just a, a one guy with an idea, you're not even a leader yet. You don't, it, it takes, it takes a follower to make you a leader. So the second right. chairperson is what makes the first chairperson a first chairperson. But they said in that, in that book, second chair leader, it talks about how the organization actually tends to reflect more the person in the second chair. Uh, who's just kind of a step under uh, the enthusiasm of the main leader than it does even the the, the first chair person. So um, it, it takes it honestly, I think takes takes one to three years for the the full culture to be in effect at, at a church like that. Now there, there's a spectrum and at different paces, but COVID certainly made it harder for us over the last couple of years because you lose the um, you, you lose the family gatherings and the family dinners and the camps and right. the mission trips and the, the things like that. So there is something to, you know, I mean, Ash, Ashley at, at GSK, they're, they're headquartered in North Carolina. So once a year, they bring all their employees to headquarters and they get to actually be in the room with people who they don't really get to see the rest of the year. And that's furthering and, and pushing their, uh, you know, their culture and mission uh, you know, deeper into their employees. We, we kind of think about it the same way when, so we, we actually do two things uh, a year collectively as a church, it's called leadership rally. And we invite all of our leaders and we consider people who serve leaders. So if you're a Bible study teacher, if you hold doors open for people, if you're in the parking lot or making coffee, you're, you're a leader in our church. We invite you to all come under one roof twice a year and you get to hear from our lead pastor. Um, and, and he basically, man, just shares, here's where we're going. You get some kind of behind the scenes information and stuff that you don't really get to hear about much. You're kind of yeah. dangling something, uh, you know, out there and, and man, it's just a blast to be together. And again, it's recasting the vision, which you can't say enough to people like that. So once you, I mean, it truly is, you hear it said all the time, but like, once you start getting sick of saying your vision as a leader, you got to keep saying it because the people are just right. starting to capture it and just starting to, to, to catch it. Uh, so that's something that we, we do, we do all the time. So I'd say really one to three years before I'd say a, a church has fully adopted the, the culture that we want them to have. Now, are you, you know, cause it sounds like, with Family Church, it's a it's hundred campuses in South Florida by twenty thirty. That what you said earlier. Yeah, that's that's what we'd like to see happen. Yeah, we think it can happen. Is that the vision that's like that, that's being pounded right now? I mean, that you hear so, over and over and over again. So our vision is bringing the gospel to every person in every neighborhood in South Florida. Our mission yeah. is building families by helping them discover and pursue God's design. And then our, our, our core values, we talk about, we want to teach the Bible, build families and love our neighbors. So we're going to teach the Bible in every gathering that we have. We're not just giving five tips to a better marriage and stuff like that. We're going to sure. teach the Bible. We're going to build families. We talk about ourselves like the spiritual home Depot. We say, when it comes to building families, you can do it. 
and we can help. <laughs> so it's the parent's job, but we're, we're happy to jump alongside of you and help. That's, that's what we're here to do. And then we want to love our neighbors. We do want to, uh, you know, have, have different ministries that we're a part of in the community. And if, and if all of a sudden tomorrow our church disappeared, we want the community to feel it um, right. because we want to be light in, in a community. So we're, man, we're helping marriages and we're helping orphan kids and uh, we're, we're helping, you know, high schoolers figure out what they want to do with their life and get out of difficult relationships. We're counseling, you know, people and, and, you know, who are going through divorces and nasty affairs. Like there's nothing like the local church, in my opinion, it's fun to, to be a part of it. And so, yeah, if our church disappeared tomorrow, I think the community would feel it pretty significantly. So, but when we talk about the the hundred campuses that so that obviously it's it's not the the core mission but it's mm-hmm. more the it's more the goal in which we need to be operating today so that that can happen is that fair yeah so yes yeah no that's right okay so so yeah i, I got off on a tangent on that last one i'm sorry so when we right, talk we, we don't really talk about a hundred campuses uh to our church that much um okay. uh but we do keep the, the, the vision in front of them of what we're trying to do. Right. So we keep that in front of them, but we really don't say we're trying to, we don't say we're trying to get to 100 campuses per se. There's an element of that that's outside of our control and our ability sure. to do that. But you're right. We, we do want to be thinking about what are the steps and stages that we can, uh, that will allow us to scale towards that type of opportunity. But internally we want to think like, okay, well, if we're going to have a hundred churches, we're talking a hundred pastors and a hundred worship guys and a hundred kids, people and a hundred student. Okay. And a hundred buildings. And a, okay. That is a totally, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that doesn't just happen. So you've got to be intentional now about developing the infrastructure and the organizational structure. that's going to allow you to scale up to that. So, uh, so we talk about it a lot internally. Uh, we cast a lot of vision uh, down uh, down the road to our staff. We do staff retreat every January with our entire staff, administrative assistants, uh, you know, janitorial staff. Like everybody comes to that, uh, and so we are constantly thinking about the next next iteration right. of Family Church. What does it need to look like, and how do we need to be shifting right now so that we can be effective for the future because you want to do it earlier rather than later because if you do it yeah. later you're going to have all the the growing pains that are going to be really painful it's going to stunt your growth as opposed to if you make some organizational shifts on the front end it's going to catalyze your growth yeah i was talking to some of our salespeople about that today we were the, the original premise we were talking about was what do i got to do to double my business this year right when we really started talking that's I feel like that's a harder conversation for a lot of people to have than to actually say, how do I 10 times my business? Like if I had to 10 exit in the next year, what would I do? That forces you to have such a bigger conversation about the now. Um, so for mm-hmm. you guys, it would be very hard to say, Hey, we just want to, we just want to figure out how to find two more campuses this year. Right. Versus. Yeah. Okay. hundred by 2030. Right. It really changes the dynamic there and how people operate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it does. And that, that's, that's why we have our internship program. We also have a residency program that actually trains and, and it's mainly kind of the target of that is honestly, just as guys like yourself, it's guys in their, in their thirties, well-established in their careers, uh, who, who, uh, maybe could create margin if they wanted it. And it's, you know, it's Sunday nights for two years and it's almost like it's a free seminary. And so we're training up people to be bivocational pastors because one of the things that we're you know that we, we see to be true well 100 buildings 100 pastors 100 worship pastors 100 student guys and that's a lot of a uh, lot of finances there's the economics in that just kind of don't make sense and so we've got to have people who are bivocational so we actually have yeah. people on our staff already right now who are teaching the bible every week like our lead like our, our pastors at campuses who are financial planners and who are principals of schools and who, you know, are, are fire chiefs and people who are doing, you know, I, I say they have real jobs. Uh, and then yeah. they, they kind of do this on the side. So we're raising up an army of people like that and, yeah, uh, and inviting cool. them to participate in what we're doing. So we're doing that. 
at the same time as our internship, at the same time as we, we have pastor cohorts uh, all over South Florida, P, uh, other pastors coming where the goal is not, we don't have bad motives here. Our, our goals not to like, we're not imperialistic in, in our, in our mindset. We really just want to help strengthen other churches. And the truth is we've said no to a lot more mergers than we've said yes to. Cause the question is, can we be better together? And if the answer right. is no, then it's, it's not worth, it's not worth doing. Right. So hmm. we do pastor courts. We host a church conference every year that hundreds of pastors and ministry leaders from around the country come to and are, and are a part of. Uh, so we're, we're thinking, how can we create this pipeline and create a kind of build our, our, our brand in some ways, in a way that's going to allow us to, to scale. That's awesome. Well, this has been fun, man. And I think, yeah. we'll, I think people will get a lot out of this, um, you know, just in terms of taking it and applying it, you know, I think we all can always be listing more things we can do to improve our culture. Cause I think that's, that's so important. What I want to let you finish with is because uh, in our in our in our conversation before this, you had a couple quotes that you say you just I don't know if they're from movies. Um, I'm going to let you give your best best two or three, and then we'll just be done. Oh goodness! Well, Justin, you know most of our conversations are uh, are, are pretty sarcastic and uh, hold zero relevance towards anything that that, that would be beneficial. So. Uh, I do know this. How, how about how about we end it on uh, on one of my my favorite concepts that is uh, I don't I don't know the exact quote, but one of my favorite concepts is uh, is is from a book by Andy Stanley called The Next Generation Leader, and he calls it the eighty twenty principle, and he basically says, hey, listen, probably eighty percent of what you're doing is bringing about twenty percent of your results. And 20% of what you're doing is bringing about 80% of your results. So you got to figure out how you can maximize your time, energy, and effort uh, to where the majority of your time is going to something that's going to bring about the vast majority of your results. So I think if we can help streamline our time and effort and energy, that's going to help us all go a lot further, a lot faster. That's far more serious than I was expecting, but you know, we'll, we'll go with it, man. That was good. <laughs> That's good. Well, thanks, I, and insert, insert Ron Burgundy quote here then. <laughs> and that who you quoted at my wedding? Well, it was Will Ferrell. Yeah. I'm Will Ferrell. Mistaken. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah who, who, who is Ron Burgundy? So it makes sense. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, well, thanks for this. Doing is this is fun, JC. Thanks for, thanks for the again. conversation. We'll yeah. A, we'll find another fun topic and do it again soon. Sounds good. See you, man. See you, bro.